Doesn't that music just kind of make you just kind of lull into this moment? We're like, dun, 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 dun. and then I'm kind of like, mm. <laughs> no, I'm just joking, just joking. The lights came up, it woke me up. All right, I'm okay, I'm all right. Hey, glad to have you guys here with us. Uh, sorry about that on the camera for everybody that's online and all, all of our campuses. That's your first like, like, introduction to me is me snoring on stage. I apologize. I apologize. Didn't mean to offend anybody here today. Hey, my name is Jeff. I get the unique privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at New Life Church. And uh, you're sitting at uh, the Kearney campus, or maybe you're at Ogallala or North Platte, or maybe you're at your like home, your home like theater system right now. I have no idea, but we're we're so glad you're here. I just got one question for everybody on this beautiful summer day in Nebraska. How many of you guys love Jesus today? Come on, at all of our campuses, everywhere. Yeah. Good. I'm glad you do. I'm glad you do. Because in this series, FAQ, we're looking at frequently asked questions. Last week, Pastor Chris tackled uh, a topic that was about sinning. You know, can I stop sinning? Is that possible? I gave him that easy topic. I'm going to conquer who is Jesus today. (laughs) All right. Now, in all seriousness, who is Jesus and why do you have to die? If you're a Christian right now, If you're somebody who has surrendered their life to Jesus, which we know at New Life Church, there are many people that are here right now listening to my voice, even at one of our campuses. You've yet to surrender your life to Christ. And we love you. And we're so glad you're here seeking after who is Jesus and why did he have to die. I wish that I could do a different kind of a sermon today. I wish that I could just have a microphone, a hot mic, and walk around to everybody who claims to be a follower of Jesus and ask you to answer the question, who is Jesus and why did he have to die? Because some of you, you not only would you be mic fright, but you would have a hard time answering the complexity, which really becomes the simplicity of who is Jesus and why do you have to die? It, it, it's, a simple question. it's a simple question with a simple answer, but it's very complex in the sense of like when you look at the total picture of who he really is, right? Because we think about Jesus as just this guy who walked on the earth and did some miracles. And then there's others who go, he walked on the earth and he is the son of God, Okay. And then there are others that would say, he walked on the earth, he's the son of God, and by the way, he is God, right? That's that's where we're going today. A lot of, all of the major religions of the world believe that Jesus walked the earth. That's not the question. The the question that we're talking about is not, was Jesus historically here, right? And we're not even talking about the question, "Does does God exist? Like, that's a whole nother question that we could address, We're actually trying to look at today, right, who is Jesus? And was Jesus God? That's what we're looking at today. And so that's kind of where we're going to pull back the veil and we're going to kind of see what's going on. And I thought to myself, like, wow, what a big question. I only have 30 minutes. How do we get to the bottom of this? And I instantaneously was taken to seven statements that Jesus said in the book of John where Jesus made these statements where he says, I am, I am. Now you're looking at one man who believes that Jesus is not only the son of God, but he is God. So therefore, I have a belief that the Bible is accurate in every single word that it says, 
right? That it's infallible. There are no mistakes in the Bible. There are, there are no suggestiveness in the Bible. There is just fact that is in the Bible. And that what God says about himself is accurate and it is true. So if that's a struggle for you, then today I'm just going to ask you, entertain these statements from Jesus with me that Jesus said about himself as the Son of God, as God himself. When Jesus says that I am, okay, he's defining himself. And there is one of those I am statements that is greater than probably all the rest of them. In fact, in fact, I would probably say it this way. If you're setting up dominoes, I would say you got to knock down this domino first before the rest of the I am statements even make sense. So if you have a Bible, you're going to want to have it open to the book of John. If you've got your uh, cell phone or whatever, you can get on to version, right? Get version, and then I've got the notes that are there for you that are going to give you many of these scriptures. The first domino that we got to look at, though, is John 8, 58, where Jesus says this, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, what does Jesus say? I am. So listen to this. Before Abraham, Jesus is, Jesus is saying, look, hundreds of years ago, before Abraham even walked the earth, I am. That means that Jesus is going, look, I was, I was already in existence. I know you're seeing me walk on this earth right now in this fleshly body, but I was already here. Meaning that Jesus is going, look, before all of creation happened, I am. He was here before it all began. Jesus, being fully God, he is, I am. And, and, the, and the important statement about I am showing up in the New Testament, where Jesus is saying it out of his own lips, has a very important connection to what God spoke through his spirit to Moses, right, in the desert, when Moses is like getting ready to free the people from Egypt, God says this in Exodus 3.14. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So this is in the Old Testament. This is Exodus chapter 3. You got Genesis, Exodus, okay? And God's already defining himself with this title, I am. There isn't anything greater than I am. So here's God the Father saying this to Moses in Exodus. Jesus is turning around and he's saying it to a group of people. Before Abraham ever was, I am. That's a common language now that we're hearing. God the Father, I am. God the Son, Jesus Christ, I am. God is, Jesus is defining himself as the deity of God. Part of the Trinity. Here at New Life Church, we believe in the Trinity. We believe that God is, is three parts, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. But he's one God. One God in three distinct parts. And you heard that in Exodus chapter 3, God the Father. Then you heard that in John chapter 8, God the Son. And now we are here with God the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts even at this very moment. So first and foremost, you have to wrestle with the idea that Jesus defines himself as God, right? Now that Jesus has defined himself as God, the very next I am statements, they really start to clarify now who is Jesus and why did he have to die? And I, I'm not going to look at all seven of them because I just couldn't fit them all in in a 30-minute message. But I do want to look at a few of them. The first one is this, I am the bread of life. 
If you want to know who Jesus is, you want to know why he had to die, then start here. I am the bread of life. Jesus had just fed the 5,000, right? 5,000 plus. Um, out of a little boy's lunch of five loaves of bread and two fish. He miraculously had taken these and kept multiplying them as he ripped it apart, right? And it kept filling the baskets and more bread was created than what was even needed to eat of those thousands of people. And more fish was created than was ever really needed to eat by those 5,000 plus people. And the people at that moment, they were like, man, we want to make this guy king. Man, you know, like, look, we get free meals around this guy. He's our free meal ticket, right? Let's make him king. And so Jesus, knowing this, that they didn't, they just want, they didn't want him just to be the, the spiritual king of their heart, because that's not even what they were interested in. They just wanted Jesus to be the physical king, ruling over them and ruling over their people and ruling over their nation and driving out their oppressors. Jesus, knowing this, he escapes to a place of prayer. And the next day, many people, they found Jesus. Yeah. So that meal had, like, really impacted them. And they found Jesus, and uh, they wanted, they actually were saying to Jesus, we want more physical bread. Oh, and by the way, you want us to believe that you're the son of God? We need to see more miracles. Can you believe these people? We would never do this. We wouldn't be that kind of group of people. Right? Wouldn't we remember that the day before Jesus, he takes the little boy's lunch and he multiplies it? Wouldn't we have remembered this miracle? These people, they wanted more miracles and they wanted more physical meals. And Jesus turns to them in John 6, verse 35, and he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. That was a profound statement at this moment. They wanted physical bread, and Jesus says, I am your bread. Bread unites people around the world. I don't know how much international travel that you've had the privilege of doing, but in many, in most cultures, most civilizations, bread unites people. I mean, there's all different kinds of bread. There's unleavened bread, and there's non-bread. I mean, come on, somebody. Some non-bread with some good tiki masala. Oh, my word. You're not living until you're eating non-bread with tiki masala. Um, all right. Let me go, let me move on. I'm a, I must be hungry. There's wheat bread. There's white bread. There's rye bread. I mean, there's fried bread. You see what I'm saying? Right, now people are getting excited. There's donuts, all right? You see, that's a part, that's fried bread. That's, there's some donuts there. We got croissants and bagels and biscuits and scones and even gluten-free bread. How many people are hungry yet? And I probably didn't even mention the bread that you like, right? So like, there's all kinds of breads. I know that there's this diet that's out there where you, you don't eat carbs and you don't eat bread and you can eat all the bacon you want and still lose weight. And I've tried it. Three days in, I want a donut. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, it's good. The bacon's good. But I want the bread. Like, we need that. Like, I think God created us for that. Bread, it sustains and it, it actually unites you know, I mean, when I was a kid and we would show up at my grandparents' house, I don't know why we didn't do it at my house, but we show up at my grandparents' house, it doesn't matter what meal you were eating, there was bread on the table and butter. Can't forget butter, because nobody wants to eat bread alone. Bread needs something, right? Bread's screaming, like, put something on me and eat me. And I hear it all the time. 
And so it, it unites people. It becomes like the centerpiece. It, it, cre- it, it starts conversations. It sustains many civilizations for periods of time, right? And it, but in a greater way, Jesus is the sustaining bread of life. That's what he was trying to say to the people. So just like uh, you have a physical hunger, you also have a spiritual hunger. You know, I get physically hungry and I can feed myself. I can, in fact, sometimes times when I come home that I'm so hungry that I tell Kim, I go, man, I'm starving. And I know I'm over-exaggerating the whole situation. I'm not physically starving. I've got reserves on hand. (laughs) Right? I can live for quite a while. I know that. I get that. But you get that moment where you're like, I'm starving. And and then Kim will say, yeah, but dinner's going to be ready in like 15 minutes. And then I say... Husbands, what do you say next? I can't wait. I can't wait. And so you can go, you can go to the snack jar, right? You can go and you can get whatever. You can get all the junk food, but then you're going to ruin yourself for the, the nutritious food that you actually need that is being made. And, and we can do that even to ourselves in our spiritual hunger. We can go after the wrong things. We can go after the darker things instead of the things that bring life. We can go after the things that don't sustain us instead of God's word that does sustain us. But when you feed yourself on the word of Jesus and you feed yourself on the presence of Jesus, he promises to quench your hunger from the things that can destroy you. That's what he promises to do. He's like the best spiritual diet ever. The more you get Jesus, the more you want Jesus. The more you get Jesus, the less of the world that you actually want. So Jesus says he is enough to sustain you because he is the bread of life. But another thing that Jesus says is that I am the light of the world. And there's two different times that Jesus really says that I am the light of the world. The first one's found in John 8, 12, where Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So notice this first, right off the bat, that Jesus makes it super clear that if you don't follow him, then you're not walking in light, you're walking in darkness, right? That means you're going to be walking in sin. You're, You're walking in deception. You're not walking in the truth. And there are people all over the place, all over this world, and maybe even listening to me right now, who are walking in darkness, and they can't see the fact that they're making destructive choices for their life. They're blind right now. It's frustrating at times for me as a spiritual leader when I get people in the church and they're, they're upset. They're upset at the way that the world is living. Okay? And so am I. I I'm upset about it. Right? But I mean, they're upset to the point, like, can't they see? And I go, no, they can't see because they're choosing to walk in darkness. If you're walking in darkness, you can't see your hand in front of your face. If you haven't chose to walk with Christ, you're walking in darkness. And let's, you know, so why are we putting, like, why are we putting the expectations of what it looks like to walk in the light on on people that are walking in darkness? We're already creating this divide where you're never going to love people unless you're willing to walk into the darkness with them. You got to walk into the darkness, but the beauty of you walking into the darkness is this. Wherever you go, you bring the light. That's good news. That's good news. So Jesus promises the believer that you will have the light that leads to life. Because he's the light of the world, 
if you put your hope and your faith and your trust in him, then you'll have the light that leads to life. Life this way, watch this. Life in the fulfillment of life on this earth. The, the maximizing of your short existence on this planet to be used for the glory of God. That's life, but also for eternity, for life to come, to spend this eternity with God, right, forever and forever. Isn't it way better to walk in the light than the dark? I mean, come on. I mean, I'm not just talking about when we were kids and we had to go into the scary basement. I'm just talking in general. Like, there's certain parts of town there's certain parts of town that get scarier in the dark. There's noises that get creepy in the dark that, that you don't ever get creeped out about when the lights are on. Right? You follow me? Your imagination goes crazy in the dark. Even the late Michael Jackson said the freaks come out at night. <laughs> Someone's Googling that right now. Who's Michael Jackson? Freaks at night, what in the world? Yeah, <laughs> right, so <laughs> the, I gotta regroup after that one, don't I? <laughs> Bottom line is that light is way better than the dark. And that's what I love about Jesus saying he's the light of the world. He takes this dark, dingy, dull, sin-filled world and he brings hope to it because he's the light of the world. The second time that Jesus declares he's the light of the world, though, is in John 9, 5. He says this, that, but while I'm here in the world, I'm the light of the world. I don't know if you've ever read that before, but you should have the same response that I have when I read that. Well, that's really good, Jesus, but, you know, you ascended to heaven, so now what? Is it all over? Right? What, what happens now? Now that you have ascended to heaven, you said, look, I'm the light of the world, right? While you were here. Well, thankfully, Jesus defined what he really meant. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he had already said these words, right? That you are the light of the world. For those who have put their faith in him, who have chosen to follow him, you are the light of the world like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, that's what's happening right now through you. If you've put your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ, you are like a light shining in a dark world on top of a hill, and many people are seeing it. Many people are being impacted by it. Those who have surrendered their life to Jesus, they have his light you know, within you. But you also have the light of Jesus shining through you for the world to see. So the beauty of this whole statement of I am the light of the world, and while I was here, I'm the light of the world, but while he is gone, he is still the light of the world. He's just shining that light through those who have chosen to surrender their life to him. So let your light shine, church. Let your light shine in this dark, dingy world. Stop complaining about what's going on and let your light shine, right? Stop sitting around and just be worried about what's going on and start letting your light shine. Let your light shine in little conversations. Let your light shine whenever you can. Let your light shine. Don't let your light be dimmed out. Hide it under a bushel. Man, you guys still remember the song. Holy cow. <clears throat> Some of you are like, what are they talking about? It's okay. Don't worry about it. Jesus also said that I am the gate. This is very interesting. I'm the gate. Sheep, okay? Sheep and shepherds. Let's talk about that for a second. 
Sheep, they lack this homing instinct that a lot of animals have. Have you ever heard the stories about like dogs that have been lost for days, maybe weeks, and all of a sudden they find their way back to their home? And it blows your mind away, and you're like, what in the world? How did that happen? There's this homing instinct inside of a lot of animals that sheep don't have because, ironically, the Bible defines you and me as sheep, and sheep are stupid. That's probably the most encouraging thing I'm going to say to you today, by the way. But sheep, they lack this ability to really find their way home. So at night, a shepherd has to take extra precaution. So the shepherd watches over the sheep, right? And the shepherd doesn't guide the sheep from the front, by the way. Okay, because if the shepherd guides the sheep from the front, like, hey, follow me, like the little Pied Piper, then he gets up and over a couple of hills and he turns around and there's no sheep following him. So a shepherd always guides the sheep from behind. That's how a shepherd guides the sheep, okay? So he's always guiding them where he needs them to go. And then at night, to protect them, because he would wake up and the sheep would be gone, or eaten, or something, then he has to build a corral. He'll either build a corral out of rocks and stack rocks on top of each other, down to a little point where there's a little doorway for the sheep to get through. Or he'll take like thorn bushes, right, that could be growing in the desert, <clears throat> kind of get some of those, hook them together, and kind of make a corral, and then leave a little opening, gets all the sheep in there for the night, and guess where the shepherd sleeps? In the gate. He sleeps in the gate. And that's why Jesus says in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 9, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. Those who come in through me will be saved. That's a beautiful picture all of a sudden. Now I am safe in the corral. He became the gate. Jesus says in another statement that I'm not going to talk about today, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I am the gate. You come into eternal life, into the corral, into the safety of Christ, of eternity. I'm not talking about the safety of your life on this earth. I'm talking about the safety of your, of your spiritual journey with Christ forever. It's in the corral of eternal life, right? Jesus becomes the gate. Only those who call on the name of Jesus and surrender to his lordship will be saved. And it just makes total sense when you think of it that way. I get it, like you don't want to be identified as the dumb sheep, but isn't it awesome to know that when you came in through Christ, he is now your guider, he's your protector, he's the one that secures your eternity, he's the one because of who Jesus is and because of the fact he died and he rose again, he has the authority and the power to protect you spiritually so that you and me will spend eternity with God forever. And that's good news and it just makes sense. I mean, have you ever gone to a football game at Memorial, uh, you know, Stadium in, um, in Lincoln? Right? Isn't that what it's called? Okay. Just want to make sure. We're in Nebraska, right? Okay. Man, I thought maybe my illustration was for another state or something. All right, so uh, you've been there, right? You, maybe you've been there. If you haven't, look, you've got to have a ticket to get in. You can't just go, hey, I'm a Nebraska citizen. I'm going to watch the game today. Pay my tax dollars. Now, that ought to work, by the way, all right? But it doesn't. So you got to buy a ticket. you got to get a ticket. you got to secure a ticket. And then when you go there, when the first time I went there, I was with some people that had been there before, and they said, no, we don't want to go through this gate. We want to go around. 
And we want to go through this other gate because this other gate's going to come in closer to our seats. Otherwise, we have to walk through chaos. So we go around and we go through this gate and boom, there we are. And we go up and we're in our seats and we're way up there, right? And I'm like, what are we looking at? I can't see. Like, are there any binoculars? Like, it was great seats. So, but you got to have the ticket and you got to go through the gates, right, to get in. And if you come in any other way, no ticket, and you just come screaming through a gate, you will be found, you will be arrested, and you will be kicked out. And if that's what happens at the football game, then there is no difference in God's kingdom. you got to have a ticket. There's got to be faith in Jesus. you got to come through the gate, Jesus alone. But once you're in, you get to enjoy all the benefits of what it means to be in. It's not about being good enough. It's about who Jesus is, right? It's about who Jesus is and what he did to get you in. So Jesus is way more than the gate. In fact, right after this verse, Jesus said that he is the good shepherd. Look at John 10, 11. He says, I am, another one of those I am statements, the good shepherd. And the good shepherd does what? <coughs> Sacrifices his life for the sheep. Guys, we worship a good shepherd in Jesus. He knows his sheep. He knows you today. He listens to his sheep. He's heard you today. He protects his sheep. He's looking out for your best interest. And here's the beauty. The sheep know him and he knows them. He isn't a stranger to you today. What I love about that is this reminds me about the simplicity. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. But the example of Christ tells me so as well. He sacrificed his life for you and me. He died and rose again so that you and me might have eternity with God. So you, I want to challenge you today. Trust him blindly because he is the good shepherd and he is the gate. Lastly, with the last few minutes I have, Jesus says this. I am the resurrection and the life. We've got to end on this one. On the resurrection and the life. It was John chapter 11. Jesus had just got word that his good friend Lazarus was deathly ill. Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha. So that's kind of the, the storyline. Jesus hears about his friend who is like deathly ill. And Jesus decides, hey, let's just wait a couple of days. <clears throat> He's just sleeping. That's the words that Jesus uses. And so two days later, <clears throat> Jesus goes, hey, guys, let, let's pull it together and let's head off. And by the time they get to Lazarus, Lazarus has now been dead and in the grave for four days. So there's some time, right? Two days. Then there's some time for travel. And by the time Jesus gets there, there's now been Lazarus in the grave for four days. <clears throat> Martha hears about Jesus coming. She runs out of the town, out onto a, uh, like a country road, if you can kind of see it that way. And uh, she meets Jesus. And she's like so distraught. Like, Jesus, if you, just, if you just would have been here sooner, my brother Lazarus wouldn't have had to die. And Jesus turns around and he says to her, Lazarus will rise again. And Martha was like, well, I know that he'll rise again. In the great resurrection that is to come at the end of time, he will rise again. And then Jesus turns around and he says to her these words in John 11, verse 25 and 26. Jesus told her, what? I am the resurrection and the life. Me, 
who's standing in front of you. It is me. We're not talking about something that's to come somewhere in the future. We're talking about right now. I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Anyone, by the way. He wasn't just talking about Lazarus. He's talking about you and me. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this church? Because he said it to Martha. And today, do you believe it? Do you believe that what he says he means that anyone who believes will live even after dying? Do you believe that everyone who lives in Jesus and believes in Jesus will never die? It's important. You can hang on to this hope. You can hang on to this truth today. Martha, she ran and got Mary, and they all met at the tomb, and there was a lot of weeping and crying that was going on, and then Jesus asked for the stone to be rolled away. And even Martha, after meeting Jesus and hearing he's the resurrection and the life, after she hears that the stone should be rolled away, she goes, but Jesus, he's been in the grave for four days. He's really going to stink. Like, super practical woman. You know what I'm saying? Like, if we're going to do that, can I go back home and get some more perfume? Can I, can I like, what can I do, right? Because I don't want to smell this. Then Jesus looked up towards heaven after the stone was rolled away. And guys, this is profound. He says this in John 11, verse 41. Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man, he came out in his hands and his feet, bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in head cloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. This guy, I mean, you guys are getting it, right? You're like feeling it. It's awesome. But this guy came out like this, like. I mean, he's all wrapped up. What do you think he did? Like, come strolling out. Like, hey, what's up, everybody? I love the fact that to finish the miracle, Jesus sends the people to unwrap him. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And for all of those who put their complete faith in Jesus, you'll never die. Oh yeah, one day your heart on this earth, because it's not meant to last forever, it might stop. One day a sickness might overcome you, but it doesn't matter. Like when this day is done, to be dead on this earth is to be alive with Christ, Paul tells us. And why can we hold on to that truth? Because Jesus says, I am, meaning this, he is God. That's why we can believe it. That's why we can hold on to a truth that's beyond this world because Jesus died and he conquered death and he rose again. And one day, every single believer will hear the voice of Jesus just like Lazarus. Lazarus dead in the tomb, right? And all of a sudden he hears this, come out! One day, you and me, we're gonna hear the voice of Jesus saying, come up! to meet him in the air where we will be with Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, forever and forever. Why? Because Jesus is the great I am. That's why. So today, as we move into a moment of worship, is Jesus, is he what sustains you? The bread of life. Is he sustaining you? Or are you feeding on things that are not sustaining. 
Is your spiritual hunger getting the best of you and leading you off course? And you're eating all the things that are just not healthy for you. So is Jesus truly your bread of life? Is he sustaining you? Is Jesus the light that's guiding you? Are there other things where you're trying to make fake fire to try to light you and to try to give you hope in this dark world? Because I'm going to tell you right now, whatever you try to put, you know, this fake fire to, it won't last for, for long. It might light up for a moment, but it fizzles out quickly. So is Jesus the light that's truly guiding you? Is Jesus the light that's shining through you? Is the world seeing enough of Jesus shining through you today? Or is there a need for you to, to like amp up the boldness meter a little bit and let people hear that you're a believer in Jesus? Let people see that you're a believer in Jesus by the way you live your life, by the choices, by what they hear coming out of your mouth, by what they watch, you know, even in your own schedule of your own life. Is, is Jesus the light shining through you? Is Jesus the good shepherd that you have put your complete blind faith and trust in? Is he? Is he the good shepherd? Do you want to get close to him? Right? Are you thankful for what he provides? Right? Are, are, you, are you blindly following him? Right? And lastly, is Jesus your source of hope for this life and for the life to come? Or is there something else that's filling the void of the source of hope for this life? Church, here's what I want you to do. I want you to lean into Jesus today. I want you to passionately seek him today. Jesus is here today. He's here right now. The great I am is here right now. And he's here to be found by all who want to seek him. We believe that at New Life Church. Seekers find God. There's a promise from God. That if we seek him, we find him. Would you seek the great I am today? And would you get close to him and let him do his miraculous work inside of you today? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Jesus, we come to you today and from your word, we walk away thoroughly encouraged. We walk away knowing that you weren't just another man that walked on this earth you're the son of God, and you are God himself. You are the great I am. And Lord, we want to satisfy our, our spiritual hungers on you today, not on something else. Lord, we want to move close to you. We want to lean in to you. Lord, we want to know you for who you are. Jesus, we want, we want to surrender our life to you, and we want to say to you simply this, Jesus, have your way in me and have your way through me. That's what we want. Lord, so we surrender to you today, once and again, right here, right now. Lord, would you be the light that sustains us, the bread that sustains us? Would you be the resurrection and the life that gives us hope today as we worship you, as we, as we use this time with these songs over these next few moments? Would the power of your spirit show up in this room in such a powerful way in Ogallala and North Platte and meet people in their homes right now? Would you show up in such a powerful way? That it's undeniably true that, Jesus, you are the great I am. Would you do that today? In Jesus' name, amen.